Oh, that was loud. Sorry, you're awake now, aren't you? Um, so good to be here today and just be able to, to speak and, and to be able to preach is always an honor. I always hope I honor the Lord as I speak and preach. And this month we're going to take a dive into what a high priest is. Uh, back in the Old Testament, what was their job? This was started by Aaron and his family, this lineage of, of high priests that we're going to be talking about. And what was the idea? What was the purpose in that? That's what we're going to be talking about this Sunday, next Sunday. And as we're kind of encouraging people to read the book of Hebrews this month and read it twice, is to get this sense of who Jesus was and how he was this high priest from the Old Testament. And the writer of Hebrews does such a good job making sure that we understand that and we kind of grasp that idea. So the the first question, uh, idea that I want to bring up, but I, I do want to focus on the idea of this representation. That's really, if you could take anything away today, is that the high priest was to represent the people, the Jewish people. He was there to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And so that is a big thing that we want to focus on today. But the first thing that I want to bring up is a question. I think it's a question that we need to kind of wrestle with to get an idea of why do we need representation? Why, why is it so important for us to have somebody representing us? And I think the first question we have to ask ourselves, is God holy? Is, is this God that we serve, is he holy? What does that even mean? What, is, what does holiness mean? And so some of the things that we need to think about of holy and what is holy is that God is set apart, that it's, he's set apart, that he's not like us in the sense of the way we think and the way we act and the way we are. God created all things, and everything that he created was perfect, the only thing, the reason why there's a blemish is because sin has entered the world and has damaged the things in this world, has caused chaos to occur. But God himself is set apart. He's also without blemish. There's no blemish with God. There's no uh, defect with God. There's no thing in God that, that there's a spot or there's a, a tear or there's this little thing that, that causes him to be bad or be, be, be like, uh, not like God. Who he says he is, he's God. And so he's set apart, he's without blemish, and he's without sin. God doesn't sin. God doesn't do anything that causes harm to others. As we think about the Ten Commandments, when we look at God, God does not bear false witness with his neighbors. He doesn't bear false witness to us. When, he, when God speaks, he speaks truth. He speaks truth. He seeks truth. God doesn't need to steal. God doesn't need to, to uh, covet our, his neighbor's things because there is no comparison to God. God has all things and has created all things. Some of the people that have written and some of the maybe famous ministers of our time and of the past uh, have shared some things about God and, and kind of explaining this holiness idea. Uh, Elmer Townsend says this, Holiness is the first description that comes to our mind when we think of God and maybe one of the most difficult attributes to completely understand and define. God is holy and apart from everything that is sinful. So everything that is sinful, God is totally apart from. Again, that separation, that set apart. Sin is anything outside the nature of God. 
See, this is not just something that God is like. God is holy because that's his nature. Going on with that idea, A.W. Towser says this, holy is the way God is. To be holy, he does not conform to a standard. He is the standard. That God is the standard that we live by or should live by. Because he is holy and his attributes are holy. That is, whatever we think as, as being to God must be thought of as holy. God has made holiness the moral condition necessary to the health of his universe. In other words, the way that God sees this universe to be healthy is for it to be holy as he is holy. Without blemish, without sin. God didn't create this world to be sinful. God wanted it to be holy. He wanted to have a holy relationship with us. But sin has caused this issue. R.C. Sproul's says this. God alone is holy in himself. The word holy is used as a synonym for his deity and calls attention that God is. It reminds us that his love is holy love. Think about this. Everything that God is, it's holy because it's perfect. It's without blemish. His justice is holy. His mercy is holy. His knowledge is holy. Knowledge. And his spirit is holy spirit. God is holy. Without blemish, without sin, without defect. And so that's important for us to acknowledge and understand that if God is holy, if we say, and it is true that God is holy, then we have to understand that there's going to be something that we have to do or that has to be done for us to get to the place where we can be holy with him. The reason why we can't see God in his fullness is because God is holy and we're not. And that's the sad part of our state. The state that we're in is that we can't experience God to the fullness Only, you know, even Moses could not take, and he was one of the humblest men of the earth. You know the scripture teaches us that he was the most humblest man on the face of the earth. You know why I believe that is true? Is because he was able to see God. And he didn't even get to see the fullness of God. He saw a shoulder going across, and God's hand was protecting Moses. And what happened? Moses became so radiant that the people asked him to put a veil over his head because they couldn't take the purity and the light that they were seeing from Moses because he had encountered God. So God is holy. And God... Even though he's holy, without blemish, without any defect, without anything wrong, God desires a relationship with his people. God wants us to be with him. But yet there's a problem, and that's sin. And so how do we bridge that gap? How does mankind bridge it? And the truth is, mankind can't. It's only an act of God that he can bridge the gap between us and himself. David, who had a chance to have a, some really good spiritual time with God, had a great heart, as the Bible teaches us, was a man after God's own heart. He writes in Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2, and we'll continue on in verse 3 and 4, but it says in verse 1, 
Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of your children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies and silenced the foes and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, when I look at your creation, when I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, God, how you placed each star in the sky, each planet, each sun, the moon and the stars, which I, you have set in place. What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Here we have a God that is set apart, that is holy, and yet God is mindful of us because he loves his creation. He loves you. He wants to spend time with you. And this is not just true in the New Testament. This is true in the Old Testament. That God wants to build a, able to have a bridge between his children and himself. So what do we do? How does this affect us? As we look at this and go into Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, it says this. It says, and they were calling to one another. So these creatures, these seraphim that were created by God to be in his presence, Isaiah is seeing this vision and he's seeing the heavens open up to where he can come in and see God. And these seraphim yell out or call out or cheer out. They say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of God almighty or is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse 4, and at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What an awesome moment that Isaiah is able to see this time where he's able to see the throne room of God. And they, as they're saying these things about God being holy, holy, the threshing floor, the floor is shaking. This, this place, the doorposts are shaking, and the place is filled with smoke. And so this is the question that I have for us today is what, what can us as mankind do about this? And the idea is that we can't, right? Like I mentioned before, I kind of jumped the gun there, didn't I? But anyhow, what about mankind? What about us? Because it leaves us in a state because as you look at your life, and, and as we talk about representation, I can't help but think about the trials that have been happening, the uh, Murdoch trial, and I know that's been in the news, and we see all these trials and these court cases, and there's so many TV shows that deal with crime, right, and lawyers and, and judges and hearing cases. And going back to this idea that we need representation, and in those trials, you have a lawyer that will represent you. If you are a prosecutor, you prosecute to try to represent those that have been victims in the case. You try to bring out the truth in those situations for the people to see or the judge or the jury to see the truth. And you speak for those victims that have been harmed in some way. During my, my father's trial, uh, the attorney or the uh, you know attorney general would actually come and, or the prosecuting attorney I should say 
would ask us questions, get us prepped up, get us ready to go so that we could kind of be comfortable in those situations as we're being asked questions. It was kind of weird and and kind of difficult, but having somebody to represent you and speak for you about the facts of the case is important in the same way with the defense. Having somebody to speak for that person that's being accused, to have that person speak on their behalf and and tell the truth, to get a Get the judge or the jury to look at the facts of the case and to seek truth. Well, who is our representation? And what about our state? As we continue reading Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah exclaims, let me get a drink of water real quick and then we'll continue on, but you can read ahead if you'd like. What does it say here? It says, woe to me. But he doesn't say it like that, does he? Woe to me. Woe to me. Why? Why is Isaiah so, so concerned at the presence of seeing God? Because he recognizes God's holiness. He recognizes God's purity. He recognizes that God is without blemish. That God is without issue. That God is set apart. And he recognizes his state. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I am ruined. It's amazing what lies do for us, doesn't it? We convince ourselves of so much, right? How good we are, how, how, how we've done things well in this life, and, and how, I, you know, I'm a good person. I do these things that, that, that look good, and I go to church. I do these things that people can see that I'm a good person, right? But when we get in the presence of God, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because we are trying to compare ourselves to others in this life, but it's not about us comparing ourselves to somebody else. It's about us comparing ourselves to God. We need to be where God is at. And when we are in the presence of God, we recognize the fact that we are not where God is at. That we are ruined. That we are sinful. That we have done sinful things in our past. And we all have. None of us are righteous. None of us are good enough. That's what the law and all the things that God has taught us and shared with us show us is that none of us are good enough. That's why we need God. We need God to rescue us. What does he say here? He says, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Here's the thing that I think about, and it fascinates me why he says lips and unclean lips. But you think about it, as God spoke the world into existence, God used his words to create life, that God used his words to speak things into existence. What do we do as mankind? We use our lips to deceive, to speak things that are not true at times and cause deceit among our, our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. And our lips aren't clean. Because at one minute we may praise God in one moment, but then say something bad against somebody else the next moment. As James talks about, the tongue is a powerful, powerful thing that can't be tamed. It can't be trusted. 
He says, for I am a man of unclean lips. He's, he's recognizing his state, right? But then he recognizes that he's not alone and we're not alone. We're all guilty. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And he goes on to say, my eyes have seen the king. My eyes have seen the king, the Lord Almighty. And then this happens in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you, away, and your sin is atoned for. Again, we can know in no way claim works. All the other religions of the world, whether you want to talk about Muslims or whether you want to talk about some other faith, a Buddhist, all the other religions of the world will talk about works and how you as an individual can work yourself better to become a better human being. That is not the gospel. That is not what Jesus or God himself talks about. What God and what we need to understand, whether it's New Testament, whether it's Old Testament, God is proclaiming it's not by our works that saves us. It's by God alone. And even in this situation, God wants us to understand, and even Isaiah is understanding, that he could not remove his sin, but God provided a way for his sin to be atoned. By placing this coal, it removed the sin in his life and took that sin out. And it was atoned for because of what God provided, what God had done. And so we have a pathway, not because it's something we do or I have accomplished or I have done. It's something because of God, his grace, his mercy, his love for us. That God provides a way for atonement, just like with Isaiah in his vision. So who represented the Jewish people? And this is what we're going to spend a little time with. And we're not going to spend a whole lot of time because I'm going to be talking about this next week too. Next week we'll be talking about the garments of the high priest. But today I want to talk about why the high priest is representing the Jewish people. And why this is such an important concept that thousands of years ago when they came out of Egypt, that God set this forth so they would understand that they needed to have representation. They needed someone to stand in the gap for them. So that when Christ came, they would put the connection between the high priest and Jesus. And that's what the book of Hebrews teaches us. Such a wonderful illustration and an understanding book to help us understand and bridge the gap between the high priest of the Old Testament and Jesus being our high priest in the new. But God was setting this up so the people of Israel would understand it wasn't them that brought themselves to God. It was this person that became this high priest that would intercede for them and represent them for God. So one of the things that we want to look at a little bit is, we're not going to read it, but in Leviticus chapter 21, the high priest, some of the high priest requirements. And I'm going to divide these up in three areas. One is physical perfection. In other words, the priests that were uh, of Aaron, Aaron's lineage, had to be physically without any blemish. They had to be physically uh, uh, perfect. They couldn't have anything wrong with their body. They couldn't be blind. They couldn't have, like me, my hand or my leg. All these physical defects we have in this life. And I know for some of us, it would be like, wow, I feel, I feel out of place, you know. I, am I, I'm not worthy. 
Why is that that God would do this? That he would say that the high priest had to be physically perfect. Well, the reason why is because that was the design of creation. In other words, God doesn't, God didn't want me to have to go through this life with having this defect in me. You know, I actually have a little spot on my brain on this side that's actually dead. And it caused me to have like a stroke. And so I died for a little bit in my mother's womb when she was trying to have birth. I was perfectly fine before birth, but when birth happened, my heart stopped and a part of my brain actually died. And I have this defect. I don't have it all the rest of my life. But was that the way God wanted it to be? No. God wanted all of us to not have any defects. The great promise is, is that one day in heaven, no one will have any defects. We will all have a physical new body that we will be given. And that's the hope that we have. But the idea of this was for us to understand that God created and intended for all creation to be whole. That God is whole. That we will be whole one day. So this requirement was there. The other one was domestic purity. That he had to marry a virgin, that he had to have good kids, that he had to raise them upright, and he had to have a good way of living about his life. And there were certain things that he needed to keep in mind as he lived his life so that he could be consecrated to the Lord in his contact in the way he lived his life. And then publicly spiritual, that he was the ambassador for all of the Jewish people. He was the representation for God, that they would see him as that representation, that we would see the spiritual aspects of God and recognize that this person was trying to be in communion and fellowship with God for the people. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2. I'll give you a second if you'd like to turn there or if you'd like to read ahead. We're just going to read verse 2, but it's all good. I just didn't want to take the whole time today to go through every every aspect of this, but I would encourage you to read through some of this. In verse 2, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover of the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. As we move into this continual talk about the high priest over the month of March, Pastor Mark will talk about the day of atonement. But there was this tabernacle that was set up, right? And there was this place that only the high priest could go in that had the Ark of the Covenant, God's promise to the people of Israel, that there was this mercy seat. And maybe Pastor Mark will get into that as well. When the Day of Atonement was the offering was given for all the people's sin. This was the presence of God in this place. And so only he could go in. And there was only certain occasions like the Day of Atonement that he could be in that place. Because God's presence was there. It's not that God wanted people to die. But sometimes people would die if they weren't properly consecrated to the Lord. Even stories that we hear about, not inside the Bible, but other places where they would actually tie a a rope on people's legs that were the high priests. If they went in and died, they could pull them out so they wouldn't have to go in there and die as well. 
There's also stories about the ark and because of the ark being in the presence of God and housing the Ten Commandments that they were trying to cross the Jordan River with Joshua. And the ark started to fall. And so some soldier that wasn't consecrating himself to the Lord was going over to try to save it. Well, he instantly died when he touched it, not because God wanted it to happen, but that's how holy, that's how holy God is. That we are in danger if we don't have an atonement, if we don't have a path, if we don't have a way, if we don't have somebody representing us. Exodus chapter 28, verse 20, or verse 9 through 11. Exodus chapter 28, verse 9 through 11. It says this. Take two onyx stones and engrave them the names of the sons of Israel in the order of their births. Six names on one stone and the remaining six others on the other. Engrave the names of the sons of Israel on the two stones, the way a gem cutter engraves a seal. Then mount the stones in gold filigree. Verse 12, and fasten them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as a memorial stone for the sons of Israel. Aaron is to bear the names on his shoulder as a memorial before the Lord. Make the gold filigree settings and two braided chains of, purple, of pure gold like a rope and attach the chains to the settings. And so here I have just a, a picture. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's hard to find any images of this that are actually very accurate. But this person went and put this together, this outfit. And so it's really interesting to see this because this isn't something you see a lot. But the reason why I want to share this is because the, these stones, these, these jet black stones that were on the shoulders of this high priest. And this is only the high priest could wear this. Only the person from the, the descendant of Aaron... A Levite could wear this and actually have this on their shoulders. And so the, the ephod kind of helped it, and we'll talk about that. It's kind of like an apron. We'll talk more about that next week. But the idea was to have these names of the tribes of Israel, six on each shoulder, so the high priest would be bearing the responsibility and the, 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 being that representative for the tribes of Israel. He'd be wearing the weight of their sin on his shoulders. Their names would be there in black. Well, and the names would be in gold, but it would be a black stone on each shoulder. And then, I'm not going to read all the gems because I'll just, I'll just mess that up totally. And, and we'll be praying here today. Oh, please, Lord, help Eric get through that. Uh, but in verse 21, it says this. It says, there are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of the one of the 12 tribes. So on his chest, on his, this would be a breastplate, would have 12 stones, four in each column, that would represent and actually have the names engraved in gold on each stone the names of each tribe of Israel. In other words, 
this high priest was supposed to bear the names of the tribes of Israel on his heart. To take the responsibility of representing them between him and God. He was, again, the idea here is that God didn't want him to represent himself as much as he was there to represent the people. So as we look at this, as we look at these stones, as we look at this high priest who would come in and offer this sacrifice and this ability to get into the throne room of God in a way, to be able to be in the presence of God and bring this atonement and sprinkle the sacrifice of the lamb, of the goat, and make that atonement for our sins of the Jewish people. This was God's ambassador. This was God using this person to represent the people so that he could intercede between us and God. Well, the question now is who is gonna represent you? Who represents us? And really, the question is who's gonna represent you in Christ. See, there's this great vision that we see in John, the disciple of Jesus. He has a vision. And we see it in the book of Revelation, chapter 7. And as he sees heaven unfold and open up, it says in verse 9, it says, After I, this I looked, and there before me, was a great multitude that no one could count. Wow. If you look back when Abraham was told by God that he will have descendants, more numerous than the stars in the sky, that there would be so many descendants that you couldn't even count, like the sands on the seashore, that you couldn't count the number of people that would be his descendants. And here in heaven, we who have chosen Christ as our Savior, are a part of this great multitude of people that can't be numbered, who have been grafted into the family of God because of our faith in Christ. This number that can't be counted at all, but probably God, I'm sure. For every nation, tribe, people, and language, this is the reason why after, and it's just amazing, isn't it, that Jesus told this to 12 disciples, he told him in Matthew chapter uh, 28, you know, go and send, I'm sending you. Go make disciples, you know, of all nations. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. And who is that Lamb? Jesus Christ. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. When was the last time that people were holding palm branches in their hands? It was on the day when Jesus entered the city. And he was riding on a donkey. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. We will be celebrating that day before Easter. And here are these saying in heaven once again, and what are we wearing? White robes, and that'll be significant like we talk about next week. It's a sign of purity. 
This idea that we have been made new, we're washed clean, we're whiter than snow. Holding palm branches in their hands. Recognizing that the lamb is the king. In verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Praise God. Praise God. See, Jesus is our high priest. And the reason why it's important for us to look back at the Old Testament and see this high priest is because this is exactly what Jesus did for us. He came in and offered himself. He was able to fulfill everything, right? He was the sacrifice. He was the high priest. He represents us. He is our ambassador. He is our advocate. Again, one of the great dramas that, that I've ever seen and actually had the privilege to do is called The Advocate. Um, you know, my corner, who's a pastor in Williamstown, and uh, his brother, he has a twin brother, uh, Doug Horner, and he has a, they have a good friend, Billy Wayne Arrington, that they did ministry together. And so when I was 16 years old and went to church camp, I was actually going to Cornerstone Church. Uh, it's just interesting how, you, you, you know, how God moves, and God allowed me to have the opportunity to get there because actually what happened, how I got to Cornerstone and God allowed me to be a part of that church camp that I saw this drama was because my uncle encouraged my mom to speak to the pastor there, Art Wilt at the time, and counsel her because my mom was concerned about divorcing my dad because of the abuse that she experienced. And my, that pastor was able to encourage my mom to, to understand that God did not want us to stay in that situation. I'm so thankful that God worked that out because I know for me, I didn't see any hope in that situation at all. But God worked it out for her to receive counseling, and I had an opportunity to meet some wonderful people. Sharon Pearson was my youth pastor at the time, or youth leader, and they had this church camp at Camp Provida, just here in Ohio. And I saw this drama. And again, it makes me think about the court case because in this drama, you have this uh, uh, prosecutor who is Satan. He's the accuser, right? And so I sometimes played that part of that Satan being the, the lawyer that's the accuser, uh, the prosecutor. And then you'd have this defendant who is, who is guilty of their sin, right? And that, who didn't say anything in the drama, didn't, didn't react, didn't, I mean, reacted, but didn't say anything vocally. But then you had this defendant who didn't say anything either. He was like a lamb before the slaughter. And it was Jesus. Jesus was the defense attorney. And God was this judge. We didn't see God. We just heard an audible voice saying, let the litigation begin. And so we saw this trial where the prosecutor, Satan, would make all these great boasts and all these great things about how this defendant, and it was true that the defendant was guilty of sin and all these things that they had done. And he claims, he says, I'm going to drag your soul to hell with me. And he says, you deserve eternal damnation. And what does Jesus do? He gets up. He surrenders. He takes the place of the defendant. And we go through a whole scenario outside taking Jesus to Pilate. We go and see Jesus get whipped and get beaten. Then we go to a place and we see Jesus on the cross. And while Satan's still being that accuser and accusing everyone in the crowd, 
Jesus gives his last breath. And then we all go back into this room and we all just kind of wait for something to happen. And as Satan comes in, he goes back to the defendant and it's just him and the defendant on the stage. And he goes around the defendant and he yells at him and says he still owes him for his sin. And then this music starts playing. Holy, holy is the lamb. Holy, holy. As the song starts getting louder and louder, the doors burst open in the back. You see this beautiful white light coming out, and you see Jesus approaching. And he comes out, and he takes this situation, he turns it up on end, and Satan is yelling, No, no, I killed you, I killed you. stands there and then Satan tries to take a blow and tries to hit Jesus and Jesus just stands with his hands like no puts him down Satan falls to the floor and then he just points out and Satan is cast out and he picks up the folder that listed out the sins of that defendant he takes Jesus takes his hand wipes it over the folder and then reveals it to the crowd No more sin. No more sins. And then they walk out together because Jesus was his defense. Jesus was the advocate. Jesus was the high priest. And when I saw that drama, I had such hatred in my heart before I saw that drama. I didn't have any hope as a teenager. I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like all my prayers that I ever prayed were hitting a ceiling. But when I saw that drama, God spoke to me. Eric, I love you. Eric, I died for you. And I surrendered. And I've never been, I've never been the same. This God that we serve is holy. This God is without blemish, and He doesn't lie. He's not seeing this as a way for Him to look at His people and see them suffer. He doesn't like you to suffer. What God wants is for you to be made holy, so that you can be with Him. He knows you can't do it on your own, that you need representation. You need Jesus. Let him be your high priest. And as we continue to have this conversation about high priests, I hope and pray that you invite him into your heart, that if you don't know him, like I was at a point where I rebelled against him, that you would turn your heart towards him, recognizing that he does love you, And that he wants you to be with him. He wants you. He's doing everything he can to bring you close. But if you're arrogant and you think you haven't done anything wrong, that's just not a good place to start. So humble your heart and turn towards him. Repent of your sin and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Please stand.
as we sing this song. This song is a powerful song. It's a song that I will tell you right now that I want sung at my funeral. And actually, I told Tracy and, and Tiffany that before the service. And they, they teased me. They said, well, you probably got about 30 years left. That, that's good. But it is a powerful song. Because it's Jesus that's resurrecting us. There's another song that I want to play to my funeral. It's called Creed. It's, it's based on the Apostle Creed. It's by Rich Mullins. And there's a wonderful part in that song that says, I did not make it, talking about the scriptures, though it is making me. I love that phrase. I did not make the word of God. I didn't create any of that. But it's changing me. As I read it, as I take God into my heart and my life, he's the one that changes me. As we sing this song, resurrecting me, that God is the one that's changing us. It's Jesus, the one that's changing me and you to become more like him and less like us in our sinful state. More of what he wanted us to be created to be like in the first place. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for your sweet spirit. And Lord, thank you that you are the same God in the Old Testament as the New Testament, and that, Lord, you are forever the same, uh, yesterday, today, and forever, that, Lord, you are God, and that you have made a way of atonement, and that is through your Son, who is the true high priest in Jesus Christ. In your wonderful name I pray, Jesus, amen.